I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. And I'm so glad we're women. Now I know there are two men in this room. <laughs> but you know, what, it, what do they call this? A lapel mic. Does that give you any indication of who this is really for? Yeah. And then if you don't have a pocket, then it's tucked into your back. And my, my, I walked around like this in front of all of you until a woman pulled it down. <laughs> Isn't it great to be women? Amen. Well, this morning we're talking about uh, being bent out of shape. <laughs> that can mean a number of things, you know. I uh, did grow up with curvature of the spine, and so I know what it, the problem it is to try and stand up straight and to be as tall as you really are because you have a tendency, and if you're tall anyway, and all your friends are short, you're like, yeah, how are you today? You know, and so you walk around like this anyway, so you do that. But sometimes this is involved with identity as well. And sometimes we assume identities that we never expected to assume. So we were in Peru for 13 years, and we were on the coast where it was very hot, 500 miles north of the capital city, Lima, in like a sprawling cow town called Chiclayo. This is, hate to tell you, 1964. <laughs> I'm really old. But we'll talk about that too. Thank you. We'll talk about that too. So anyway, one morning, I have three little children. My husband is there. And our house is backed up to the marketplace. And so there's lots of noise. And it's, like I said, it's very hot. So I left early one morning to walk over to that market and shop, because that's what women would do, of course. You don't want to be there when it's uh, 110 degrees. So, as I'm walking along, uh, I come to a street, uh, a walkway to the entrance of the market, and these two little boys are sitting there. They're probably nine or ten. And, of course, I don't have black hair, and I am tall, and they were selling onions and potatoes here and garlic, so they're down there. And this one looks at me, and he says in Spanish to his little friend, Ay, Dios mío. Aquí viene la jirafa gringa, Jose. <laughs> oh, my God, my little friend, look at this woman, the white giraffe. <laughs> well, obviously, I did not buy from them that morning. I didn't think it was funny. But I have identified. <laughs> Ever since, with giraffes, I love them. <laughs> and the places I've been stuffed into, let me tell you, I felt like a giraffe. Yeah, long legs, too long. Uh, my husband doesn't think so, but we'll go on from there. Um, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> there you are. Uh, but that's an identity. We probably have all had people throw things at us, and we... we it's an identity we hadn't planned to pick up. And this morning, before we start, I just, uh, I want to give a real tribute to single women. Um, amen. 
Uh, most of what you'll hear comes from the perspective of a married woman. But I want to tell you, the single women have been my pillars. Always. They still are. My husband, we've figured out over these 50 years, has been away from the home 75% of the time at least. And I remember coming on furlough and walking into churches and thinking, oh, <laughs> oh, there's a woman by herself. I'll go sit with her. A maid in my house in Peru. When the third child was born, because I'd stood against maids all the time. I mean, I'm an American woman, and I am fully sufficient. <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> And actually, our American culture is sort of dumb, don't you think, women? As missionary women, it's sort of dumb yeah. that we think, our I'm watching my daughter, that they can do everything, my daughters, rearing their children. Yeah, they have this and that, but they can't, you know, we're sort of stupid. Anyway, that's just my take, being a missionary, a global woman uh, on the American culture in that respect. But, uh, and so I honor you this morning, single women. Uh, when I was 50, I woke up that morning and I said to my husband, I really appreciate you, but there is a woman who is my hero. And she, he said, well, I mean, we hadn't even gotten out of bed. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Joyce Tucker, how many have read If you haven't, you need to. Ruth Tucker. Yeah, Ruth Tucker. Yeah, well, how did I get that wrong? Ruth Tucker, absolutely. A stellar writing by a woman who wanted to be a global woman and wasn't. Her sister went, but what she wrote is phenomenal. And in the middle of that book is a great chapter on single women. Missions would not be where they are today were it not where the families can't go, going where the men will not go, laying down their lives. Single women, we honor you. We honor you. So you're going to hear a lot. But each of you is designed differently. So some phrases will fall on you and you'll know they're from Christ. Don't try to absorb it all. Just take one point that the Spirit impresses on you. He may not impress it on the woman next to you, but you'll hear it differently, and you'll receive it. So let's just pray. May this teaching, O oh Lord, fall like rain. And these words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Oh, Lord, make us all tender. Make us tender. Sometimes we feel like dried up sticks, but we're really inside. We want to be tender. Would you fall here, Lord? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the ancients tell us, have told us, that the greatest knowledge is to know God 
and to know yourself. Sometimes I think we've confused that self as pride. No, absolutely not. We need to know our God and we need to know ourselves. And the more we let that come together, I love theology combined with psychology. It's all right there, thinking the study of God and the study of humankind. It's all right there. We need to know ourselves. The more we know God, the more we'll know ourselves. The more we know ourselves, the more we'll know God, how gracious he is, how he's designed us. And by the time I was 17, I actually thought I knew myself. I'd grown up in a, a good, solid Christian home, as you heard last night, I think. And um, I knew I was a leader. I was a musician. Played in the church from the time I was eight. I was a lover of God and his word. And I had an ardent global woman <laughs> um, spirit. My husband and I were married. Uh, nine months out of college, Moody Bible Institute. And um, three months later, after a miscarriage, because I became on the honeymoon, oh my word, okay. <laughs> Remember, this is 64. We did not have all the blatant television, all the sex talk, all the books. We didn't have it. So I came out of that, um, you know, the, the honeymoon, and I thought I'd love this man. Why did I feel so angry? I mean, I had no idea. The hormones were kicking in, you know, and I was riding a big roller coaster. But three months after we were married, and after losing that child, we got on an airplane and flew to Peru. We flew with two other guys our own age because we had to, and we combined our resources because <laughs> you had to have, um, you know, tickets to come back, return tickets. The church had blessed us, believing in us. We can't believe that. <laughs> believing in us. But there were those who cried and begged us not to go. Please, you're bright. You're on your way, get, your, get more education. But they prayed over us and promised to send us $100 a month, which at a very critical time failed, and we sold my wedding ring in Bolivia on my diamond. You could hardly see it. And we, didn't, we, we had forgotten that we were in the diamond capital of the world. <laughs> and nobody wanted to buy our sleeping bags. And so after almost 80 hours of no food, and we were proud, we were 21, we were going to prove God. So we'd walk to the missionary school a mile away and back, and we'd eat the peanut butter sandwich and drink the Kool-Aid, but we were not telling anyone. God knows how to work us over. So we decided to sell it. And we got $25. And we ate. And the next day the check arrived. Praise God. People have tried to bring me into places and give me a diamond. I don't want one. I want to remember 
I want to remember the goodness to God, of God in our pride, in our frailty, in our ardent hearts. But we were 21. So we got on that plane with two suitcases and a typewriter. And of course, at that time, we didn't have a lot of the vocabulary we have today. And Bill was so happy. <clears throat> Here we go to the Andes. And the more, the longer the flight, it was 14 hours in a prop plane, the more I cried. <laughs> and he woke me up in the early hours and said, Rose, look, there are the mountains. And I went, <laughs> <laughs> Because I had just left my support group. All my support, my family, all my wedding gifts, all my friends that I'd had from kindergarten. Christian and those who weren't following Christ. Oh, I left them all. And who was this man beside me? <laughs> you know? So I could actually title this message Back Out of Shape at 48. <laughs> I don't know where you are in life, but by 48, I was bent out of shape. And we, we And that's where we were children. And we lost a Land Rover in the Pacific Ocean. God knows how to strengthen your marriage. And if he can't get your attention one way, he might zap you and get it another way. Came down with typhoid and amoeba at the same time. Two, I can't believe I did this, we were on a dirt street. Our senior missionaries were nowhere around. Put her in a home with a woman across the street. And Tim was seven months nursing. And from one day to the next, I couldn't nurse. And then the pulling of the children. Our children, because we'd made a decision and we're not sad we did. Not yours. We made a decision before we married on a street corner in Chicago that we would never send our children away. And we didn't. But that meant a lot of adjustments for us on the mission field. So our children went through seven kinds of schooling. And they still love us. <laughs> And they're good adults. I just have to put that in. They're good. But that wears on you, does it not? It weighs on you. I did homeschooling for one year. That <laughs> <laughs> of course, then we only had the Calvary course. And there was nobody doing that. Yes, you would understand. Nobody doing that. And I, man. I knew I was not a teacher. I am in, like here, around the word, I can teach. But educationally teach? And they were like nine, seven, and five. So they remember, and so do I, but I don't talk about it much. <laughs> they remember that we would go to a room away from the house, because our house was Grand Central Station. We'd started 18 churches and did all those things. When you're starting something, you do everything. You're multi-gifted. You can do anything. 
really? Yeah, you try, but it can just zap you inside over the long haul. So they remember that we would get to the school and I'd give them their assignments and I'd explain them and then I would say, you know what? Mother's just a little tired. <laughs> so um, I'm going to put my head down on the desk and you do your assignments and I'll wake up in about, you know, just a few minutes. <laughs> 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 well, they were reminding me at the 50th that they would go out into the adjoining patio and look for the lizards and pull off their tails. <laughs> watch their tails wiggle. Yeah. Did I have guilt about homeschooling? Yeah, just a little. Did it for just a year. But anyway, the other thing that was bending me out of shape was that I was in a very closed uh, church system for women. Uh, that works for some. If your gifting is preaching, pastoring, worshiping verbally, if words mean a lot to you, then to be told every Sunday morning to cover your head and whisper to your husband, could we sing number 39? I died every Sunday morning. But I went through 29 years of that because I loved my husband. And I fought it. I fought it. Or I wouldn't be standing here today. I fought it in nice ways womanly ways, gentle ways, but believe me, I fought it. That also was taking its toll on who God had really made me, who I was. So by 48, I was bent out of shape. By 48, in 1990-91, in that period of a year, Six new hats were placed on my head, ones that I would not have chosen. My beloved father passed away. I became the daughter of a widow. Me, a daughter of a widow. And then our son was in the Persian Gulf in the war. I became, he came home. Oh, praise God, he came home. I was the mother of a veteran of... And then, within the space of six weeks, I became a mother-in-law twice. <laughs> one was expected, one was not. And four months later, I became a grandmother. 48, and bent out of shape. just want to say about the grandmother piece. He's 22 now. Love him to bits. Brandon. But you can choose what you want to be called. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you that liberty. 
At 48, I was not ready to be called grandma. <laughs> and my husband is sort of Southern, so I mean, grandma is a lovely term. No, it's not a I said, I want to be called Gramsci. <laughs> there was a little pushback, but those boys, all five, learned to say that. Gramsci. And the last one, for so long, and every once in a while, he's 13 now, but it pops up, Zizi. You can choose. Stand up for yourself. You can choose. But I was bent out of shape. And as you can tell, not everything came in the proper order. So there was also the guilt of who I had been as a mother and why a daughter would become pregnant before marriage. I, a missionary. I, a teacher of the word. And I loved her to bits. It whipped Bill and me out of shape. But you know what it did? It taught us compassion. Our hearts go to single moms just immediately. And we watched this beautiful daughter go through six years of absolute horror, birthing two sons. And when there were three and three months and that man threatened to kill her, she ran. And we picked her up and brought her in. And we're with those. She was there with us, always working as a flight attendant for United. Our children have always worked. They've never expected a handout. They've always worked. Thank you to my husband. And eight years later, she married a wonderful man. She's been married 10 years to a wonderful man, godly man. All that's weighing at 48. And so this morning, we want to think about, you want to think about your identity, where you this crippled woman, and read from Luke 13, 10 to 17. Luke 13, 10 to 17. And as you can imagine, for many reasons, I identify with this passage. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That's a loaded sentence. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. Remember, this is Dr. Luke writing. So he has identified in his words that it's not just an illness, but Satan has crippled her. And he goes on to say 18 years. He's very aware of her condition. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. And everyone was so happy, and they all praised God. Is that what yours says? <laughs> Mine doesn't either. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. I don't think he whispered. Oh, you naughty people. No, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And 
ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, you hear the compassion of Christ, be set free from the bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh Jesus. Praise the Lord that you are God. And God himself was walking the earth. And if you want to fall in love with Jesus and begin to see your image, take those gospels and note every time Jesus speaks for a woman, acts for a woman, trusts them, teaches them, lifts them up. Jesus, God, that's your God of Genesis. Do you get it? God, for you, made in his image. Equally in his image, along with the man who stands beside you, whoever that is, your father, your brother, your, your son, your husband, your grandsons, equally in God's image. And we stand together. So we're going to go through this quite quickly. Who was she? Who was this woman? Okay, I want you to all stand up. I know you're all situated just lovely, but please stand up. I want you to all stand up. And I want you to get in the position as much as you can of that woman. Uh, you're, you're excused. <laughs> you women with those beautiful children here, you're excused. Okay, come on, let's bend. Bent over for 18 years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how they made fun of her? Try to think of her age. And as you bend over, I want you to turn to the person nearest you and try to have a conversation. <laughs> Stay bent, please. Stay bent. No standing up. Stay bent. Bent. Okay, that's enough. Be seated. You may be seated. How would you like to be in that position for 18 long years? How would you like to have a daughter in that position? Maybe some of, all of us probably have someone in our family that we pray over every day and pray for their freedom from physical illness, from mental illness. From, we're all there. We're all there. And God wants to show us his compassion for all. She was a woman. And when it came to women and worship, women were not counted, as we know. It took 10 men to make a quorum in the synagogue. Women were not counted. And the men came there actually to read very little scripture and then to discuss and debate. That's what it was all about, the Torah, discussing, debating, discussing, debating. And if a woman was there, she was way in the back or she was behind a curtain. You wouldn't want her to uh, divert the eyes of the men, right? And she didn't wear capri pants then. She didn't wear tight shirts. She would have been pretty covered. But the teaching is from long ago. Some of our church fathers would say that Satan made women. That they, these are our church fathers. When I began to really read this, 
I got so angry. So I had to get beyond that anger to realize that all that has been poured on us as a seductress, as a seducer, as uh, an agent of Satan. We're made in the image of God. He loves every one of us. So a woman and synagogue didn't really go together. And then she was a cripple by a spirit. Christ says Satan is a and that's a fine line to know sometimes, isn't it? You women, you women who deal in counseling, I really admire you as well because you're always walking a fine line. I know that. Bless you, bless you. May you be given much discernment. But this begins to reveal Christ's battle with Satan and that he is victor and he is compassionate. His compassion comes out and it shows the diminishing authority of Satan. Well, in this culture and being a woman, suffering from such a malady makes her an outsider on two counts. And I love Luke. Uh, that's probably my favorite gospel because Luke centers in on women. This doctor, he centers in on women. And so you'll find 42 passages in Luke with the motifs related to women. Three are shared with all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Nine only with the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Five only with Matthew, and two with Mark, and that leaves 23, specifically Lucan, passages about women. Now, let's just look at the obstacles. So she was a woman and she was a cripple. And of course, uh, at that time, those Orthodox Jews believed with the Torah that, um, remember the other passage where the man is healed and they say, was it his parents' sin or his own? Well, that was the way they looked at it. So she was a woman, one count against her, and the fact she was a cripple, God had turned his back on her as well. So how did she arrive there? How do you think she arrived? Who encouraged her to come in there? Was she 12 when the malady started? Just getting ready to be ready for suitors? And her father was looking out, looking for a good Jewish young man. She was attractive and just the sweetest girl. And they were preparing for a very happy Jewish occasion. Their daughter's marriage, when this struck her, And by 30, here she is. Through all the ages, women and men have suffered with us in the unexpected, which God places in our hands. And so did her parents walk in shame, believing that God's displeasure was upon them? Were there siblings who were embarrassed? Mom, I don't. No, why don't you go with her to the market, Mom? How did she view herself? A shadow? Simply a shadow? Have you ever viewed yourself as a shadow? That's not a view from God. God doesn't make shadows. 
God is all light. He shines into the darkness, so there are no shadows. It says that in him there is no shadow of turning. He doesn't say yes, no, yes, no. And he does not make women who are shadows. I remember a time in my life when I truly felt like a shadow. I followed Bill every place. He worked with big people, Luis Palau, Billy Graham. 20 years with Billy Graham. I love Billy Graham. But you can begin to feel like a shadow if you don't truly stand and know who you are in Jesus Christ. I'd sort of follow him around like this, and people would say, oh, Bill, who's with you? And Bill was very sweet. He would say, this is my wife, Ruth. He would actually give my name. But I heard Luis Palau speak once, and he said, I am so tired. This was in Latin America. He was speaking in Spanish, and we had invited him in to speak to marriage. He said, I am so tired of meeting you guys, and he was speaking to the men, that's why we brought him in, come, 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 um, who meet me in a conference, and your wife stands behind you, and you never introduce me to her. Or I say, who is that? A la esposa. You know what that's like in English? Well, the dog is there. I brought my dog with me, la esposa. Not my wife, the wife. And he hit hard on that. I just praise the Lord for his words. You were not intended to be a shadow. So if you're feeling that complex, that works on your psyche, if you feel that and you start to live it, God's brought you here to be free. He's brought you here to shine into that. So you are no longer a shadow. But you stand together as partners in the service of Christ in the service of the kingdom, partners gifted according to God's gifting, not according to your gender. So how do you view yourself today? So this is a dangerous scenario. You have a crippled synagogue on the Sabbath. And just briefly on the Sabbath, you know this, but the regulations, there were at least 39 do-nots on the Sabbath. I don't know, if I'd been a woman at that time, I think I would have just crawled under my pallet in the morning on the Sabbath because there were so many knots. All the laws, do it right, get it right. And so there they are. <laughs> the synagogue, the Sabbath, a crippled woman, and Jesus. And they had no idea who was among them. So who was Christ for her? We'll go through this quickly. Verses 12 to 16, he was basically her liberator first. He saw her. He actually saw her. He stopped. He was teaching and she came in. What pastor do you know who would be in the middle of his sermon, or her sermon, but his sermon, because it's mainly his, and she walks in? Would you not look at her as a disruption uh, and keep on with what you're doing? I mean, how dare she? How dare? And these synagogues are small. They're not big. We were there in April. Very small settings, most of them. So Capernaum, quite small, quite small. 
And there she is. And he sees her. A rabbi was not to look at any woman. And then he calls her. <laughs> Publicly, I have five minutes left. We're going to fly. Okay, he calls her. He calls her. Publicly. And he touches her. Unheard of. What on earth was this rabbi doing? Seeing a woman, calling her, touching her, and she comes and he says, woman, you are healed. And she begins to unfold all of her bentness. And she comes up and the first eyes she sees are eyes of love her creator. And she's so embarrassed, she sneaks out the other door of the synagogue. No. She stands up and praises God in the synagogue. And Jesus doesn't shut her down. What do you think that did to all those bearded, fluffy men? So there were obstacles, and I see three. First of all, it was all countercultural, but that's our Lord. If you read the Gospels, looking at his interaction with women, you're going to find him so countercultural. Why wouldn't they crucify him? He was against the culture, but he was also against the law. Not really. He said he wasn't, but he had made the law, so he worked within the law, but with compassion. <laughs> To these people, justice and compassion that the prophets had preached was still not important. Tradition, can't you hear it? Tradition. <laughs> and Jesus broke through it. And so what happens? She stood up straight. She began praising God in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He had changed her not only outside but inside. And she couldn't help it. She praised God. So the next obstacle, and this is a huge one, is the ruler. This is a person. And I uh, can really encourage you. I'm not encouraging. I can just please forgive me tell you that if you decide to stand up, you're going to face some person. It may be a man. It may be a woman, which is also more devastating because we thought we were all together in the same boat. Mm -mm. So when you stand, there will be a person standing against you. If you really know your gifting, whatever that is, it's not like mine, but you have your gifting. If you're bent over toward a spouse or someone, dancing that same dance, getting so bored, it may be the mission, it may be, I don't know what it is that's binding you if you're bound. There's a dance going on and you keep dancing the same step. Her name is Joyce Lerner, wrote in, I think, the 80s, The Dance of Intimacy. Women, don't be afraid to read some books outside of the Christian sphere. If you have the mind of Christ, God is going to direct you. The Spirit's going to, okay, don't go there. Read this, this is good, but don't go there. Trust the Spirit of God. The Dance of Intimacy is all about moving out of that dance. And if you take that step, 
which God made me do. He didn't make Bill do it. He made me do it. He called me. He loved me. We'll talk more about that. If you take that step out, it's going to change the dynamic because you're not going to dance the same in your system, in your family system, and everybody's going to have to shuffle. But you're going to have. So that's what, this, that's what the ruler did. He rants and rages. And, uh, but who was she really? And here you see Jesus the defender. I think my time's up, but we're going to finish this message. Jesus is the defender. How does he defend her? How does he defend her? He steps in. He speaks truth directly. You hypocrites. And then he asks them a question, a rhetorical question, because the answer is yes. Don't you take your cattle and your, your animals to get drink on, on the Sabbath? And then he slams it home. He drives it home. He says, but to this daughter of Abraham, you have a problem with her being healed on the Sabbath? And just to uh, finish with that daughter of Abraham, men wore that title very proudly. If you remember John 8, 31, when Jesus, they were trying to attack Jesus about being connected with the Father God, being God, they said, well, let us tell you something. We are sons of Abraham. Isn't that hilarious? And there in front of them stands the God who made them. <laughs> but you don't hear them giving that title to women. But Jesus, publicly, says, you, this daughter of Abraham with the same kind of faith that the prophet Abraham, she is his, she is mine. And I will defend her. If you take that step forward, that in these days God is going to ask you to take, God will defend you. You will suffer, but you will suffer with joy. And you will be liberated, and you will be defended. So, obstacles. You wonder what the obstacles were that, that this woman faced as she went back. We don't think about that. Not everyone in her little village was healed. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. And was she ridiculed because of her alignment with this rabbi and rabble rouser? He was a rabble rouser. If you travel to the Galilee and really look into the Roman culture and those those the the strictness of the Torah and all those religious people, Jesus confronted intentionally all the time. What a marvelous love to free us. How did her family treat her? Oh my goodness. She's she's an adult standing up straight, you know. Did they allow her to grow socially and adapt to this totally unexpected new happening? But the opportunities, think of the opportunities. She looked up at Jesus and suddenly she knew she was loved. She was healed. And knowing Jesus, she walked out into that town, not bent, through open doors, praising God. So what are the obstacles that you might face if you decide to become unbent? So remember those 
what I described to you in the beginning and with this we close, how I was bent out of shape at 48, God became, began to speak strongly, lovingly to me, kept pulling at me. We ended up in Minneapolis, another new, another new city, now without children. They were in their 20s getting on their way. And one Saturday morning, I crumbled. I found myself crumbled on the bathroom floor, crying out to God. I was 52, and I felt betrayed by God. I had been a missionary, and now I wasn't. I was a Bible teacher, and now I wasn't. For 15 years, I worked as a secretary in higher education. I'd been a church planter with my husband. No, I wasn't. And I wept because suddenly I knew I wasn't going to die within the next year. And what was the rest of life? And in my ear, I heard this sweet voice, which I want all of you to hear this morning. God said, Ruth. You are mine. Life is long. Keep preparing. When we were 21, life was short. We're going. We must go. And we did. Actually, communism and a lot of things came into South America after that time. No one was going to the Muslims or to other parts of the world. They were going into South America. But life isn't always short. Life is long keep repairing. And so ever since that time, I have a travel companion as I've traveled to over 35 countries. And she says, she has wings. I want you to see that. And her hair is all fluffy. Live your life and forget your age. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we just give this to you. Bless these precious women. Unbend us all more and more in freedom to do as you see and you say, to be as you made us, Lord, in communion with you. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.